Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest baddest podcast in the land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, coming with the rawest opinion, while giving you the straight-up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jules. Chris. We give a sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we pull back the curtain on the story of the Soledad brothers and much, much more. Chris, what's popping, baby? Man, Jules, it's been a fucked-up week over here, man. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm always winning, but Talk to me, man. What's going on, man? You said it's, you said it's messed up, man. What's going on? Man, dude, besides the obvious, all this damn snow, man. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm telling you, I need a vacation, Jules. I need a vacation. I'm sick of it, man. Not only we got that snow, man, but the Arctic blast, man, that uh, zero, that the negative degrees temperatures we've been having. Man, that's the mood eraser right there. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> boy, that hog, boy. Man. But mm. no, dude, I, um, I was at the gym. I come home. The damn garage collapsed, bro, from the damn snow. Oh, damn. Man, I'm sorry, brother. Sorry to hear that, man. And I'm sitting over here. I'm, well, I'm thankful none of the cars or anything like that were in there. But it's okay. just the simple fact that, dude, in the wintertime to have something like this happen, obviously never ideal to have a, you know, a, a mishap at your home. But right. then I'm like, dude, it's going to take months for somebody to get this thing fixed because new construction projects in the wintertime, good luck Mm-mm. with that. Yeah, it's too cold, ground too solid and stuff. Nah, just bad conditions. Yeah. This bad conditions. So, so we're going to have to get this thing demolished. I don't know when they're going to be able to come out and do that because in my town, the permit situation is all iffy. So there's <laughs> a lot of unknowns right now. Oh, you might have to line and grease some pockets, man. <laughs> hey, Perez doesn't do anything like that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, now, 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 let me ask you something. Did you have, was it a single car, double car, garage, or? Uh, one and a half. One and a half? Yeah. Now, you think about when you rebuild, you think about going bigger, or? I would think so, man, because, I mean, we got the room for it, and I guarantee the insurance will probably give it to us if we ask. You know, why not, right? Why not? Make it two, two and a half. When I do this thing, shit, I may, I may set it up where I can pod from the garage, bro. Shit. Oh, that's what's up, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That might be a solution. Yeah, then, there we go. Then when we get uh when we get all come back together, shit, then we can do that shit over here. Hey man, you know what? Things happen for a reason. And see, look see. at that. You know what, Jules? You just put me in a good mood, man. <laughs> you are all right, sir. Appreciate it, man. Uh, we, hey man, we're here to help, man. There you go. There you go. He man, he man thanks you as well. Good shit, bro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but everything going good with you though? Oh, yes, sir, man. Like you, it's been a busy week. Nothing like uh what you're going through right now, but just been busy with the weather and shoveling, my God. <laughs> I told my wife, that's it. I'm tapping out. I'm buying the biggest, baddest snowblower out there. Uh, snowblower, huh? Not a, so- um, not a snowthrower? You know what, Chris? I never heard of a snowthrower. That sounds like somebody, some for rich people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the, you know, we from the hood, man. We ain't never had no... <laughs> hey, I, hey, damn, damn, we doing good if you have a snowblower. <laughs> I ain't never had one, never owned one. Uh, I will this year in the summertime when they mark them down. I'm, I'm That's right. First in line. That's right. <laughs> Give me that one. It was funny you said that because uh, one of our mailbag questions for this week, <laughs> it came from Jason Pope and he said, hey, does Jules know the difference between a snowthrower and a snowblower? So that's funny that you said that. So, so Jules, to let you know, now the snowblower is the more powerful of the two. Okay. So the snow thrower, the reason why I was going to get that one is because it's cheaper and, you know, I'm cheap. Okay. <laughs> You're not cheap, Riz, and I'm, I'm going to tell you in a few. You're not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, ladies and gentlemen, Jules answered one of his mailbag questions just randomly here. So that was pretty, that was weird. <laughs> no, Jay, hey, that was one of them things, man. I was out there, me and my brothers, we just had shovels. That was the snow blow in thrower, just shovels. Hey, that's right. <laughs> Dude, I remember the, the shovels, man. My mom used to buy those things, used to crack in half, man. We used to be oh. out there trying to shovel. And I'll be sitting up here like, man, how you got me out here with this inadequate shovel? And you, I'm like, and I'm like, well, what are we supposed to do now? She had us out there talking about some, you better grab a bucket. I'm like, grab a bucket? A bucket? What you going to do with that bucket? Scooping and throwing. Scooping and throwing. Oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, we. And you know, they don't make shovels like they used to. Remember the old shovels? They was made what the hell they was made? Steel or something? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That was man. like them shovels from misery. Them was yeah. good shovels. <laughs> man, you you getting nothing but concrete. You getting all that snow with that. Now with the plaques, I know they, they add the aluminum at the end, but still it doesn't work like the old school shovel, in my opinion. No, I think you're right, man. But yeah, we spent far too much time in the last couple of weeks talking about snow and shoveling. I just went at the end, Jules. Just went at the end. Yeah, we're almost there. We're, what, days, what, six? We're almost there. I'll tell you this, though. You get a lot of people from other cities and stuff like that that don't have to deal with this. And they're like, hey, oh, my God, it's snowing there. It's so great. Send pictures. Mm-mm. The next person that asked me to send them a picture of snow, I'm slapping the shit out of them. I don't <laughs> want any more snow, bro. Yeah, right. We're almost there, Prez. Man. Yeah, you know what? So the thing about this, you made me, you know, you you put me in a good mood. And then I just took a glance at the garage from, you know, sitting here in this back office. And now I got, Damn. you know, sad again. Damn uh-uh. It. Just think about just think about the plan. You're okay. Two and a half car. Okay. And we're going to pop from the garage, man. We're going to have a good time. All right, cool. Now I'm I back. Can, I can now see us in the summertime, you know, when and things open up in the summertime. You have your you have your cold beverage of your choosing. And then yep. I have my 
cold cherry Pepsi. There you we go. All good. Yeah, man. I think I'm gonna have a glass of white wine. I think when we get Uh-oh. out there. Yeah, okay. man. My little Chambly. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, no, hey, I look forward to that, and that's gonna be cool. And like you said, man, obviously, uh, audience, uh, I'm gonna definitely take this this time with this garage and do it the right way, and. Obviously, you know, we'll find something, you know, silver lining good that'll come out of it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. It so, Jules, I got a couple questions for the mailbag before we go into the episode itself. Okay. Amanda Boer, she had a question for you. A lot of people have questions for Jules. She says, hey, Jules, did you buy that Hyde Park table yet from uh, Julius Dorsey? <laughs> you know, man, not yet. I'm still waiting on prayers of black card. <laughs> that's 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 the honest answer. I'm still waiting on that on that black card on the pod. We talked with Julius. I said I was gonna buy that high park table because it's dope. Uh, a lot of his furniture is dope. All of it. So if you get a chance, double check that. Double check them out. Give them some support. Give them some love. But I'm definitely gonna give them love as soon as prayers give me love with that black card and I'm there. <laughs> I should have never pulled that card out in front of this dude. He's always talking about that card. <laughs> and then oh. if not, I probably have to use my uh. I, I got a little. Light blue card. I probably have to use that one instead. Then. Okay, there you go. Shit, you got a little heat over there too, so you all good. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely show that man some love because he got some good stuff on there, man. And and audience, if you missed that episode, Chicago Fire Furniture Studio is the company. Julius Dorsey was on the show last week. Mm-hmm. Smart brother, dope concept. Definitely check him out. Mm-hmm. The last question that came in, Jules, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Alyssa Stark, she asked. What book are we both reading? So I was going to let you go first, and then uh, I had one that I wanted to talk about real quick. Nothing too, no, nothing too in depth. Okay, you know what? I'm always re- I'm always reading the Bible. Simple, just reading the Bible, get a, a verse a day, just trying to help me get through the day. That's all. So, what's your favorite verse? Oh man, I want to say everything that comes to mind when, when people ask me that. I always go back to what my grandmother taught me, my granny taught me. Okay. And that's that, that, that's that John 3, 16, you know, mm-hmm. for God will love the word that he gave his only begotten son, whoever should believe him, not perish, but have everlasting life. That will always stick to me because my grandmother taught me that, that verse. That would be things I would teach my kids and so on, so, so far and so forth. Yeah. And you, you know, you can never go wrong with granny's knowledge. Yeah. Man. That's dope. Mine, Alyssa, was uh, The Fire Next Time. Uh, that's a book by okay. James Baldwin. Uh, he's dope dope, you know, poet and obviously writer. And the reason why I like that one for Alyssa and just for the rest of our audience is when I finished reading that book, which I finished it a week and a half ago, I have highlighted marks and I have like basically just underlining under like so many parts of the uh, of the book. Just for me, there were so many memorable takeaways that I had. It was stuff that I wanted to go back to, but then I started, I found so much value in a book that I'm like highlighting damn near everything. And I'm like, holy shit, this is such a good book. So I actually probably want to read it again, man. It was that good. And for oh, anybody wow. that might not know uh, about the book, it consisted of two letters. First is like a short one that he wrote to his nephew, and then a longer one that he wrote to discuss his thoughts and feelings on race, religion, and life itself. So I definitely mm. encourage people to, to take a look at that one. Oh, man, that sounds dope, yeah. Yeah, James Baldwin, is a, he's a beast, bro. Yeah, okay. That's a good one, man. And you know what my biggest takeaway was on the jewels is uh, he started the letter by informing his nephew on how black people can be destroyed if they believe what white people t- tell them to think about themselves. And that's why, you know, I always tell you on this show, like, man, we we represent the culture on this show. Right. And we got to make sure that, you know, we're living up to that, you know, what that means. And so 
I thought that that was amazing that he took the time in that book to just break things down to his nephew, just to make sure that mm-hmm. he understood his value and who he really is. That oral tradition is paramount, man. It's important. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about it is, you and I talk about it all the time on here, is that we need to know our history. So that's why this month we're going to be doing stories like we're doing today with the Soledad Brothers to just make sure that we know that history, know where we came from, and that there's no limit to where we can go in this world. So this book, though, I, I encourage anybody that's out there looking for something that's 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 really uh, going to give them some things to take away, whether you're you know white, black, whatever, it doesn't matter. You should still find some sort of silver lining with this book. So The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. The Fire Next Time. Man, I might have to check that out, brother. Yeah, no, you, you, you'll appreciate it. You will appreciate man. it. Those are good questions, man. I like that, man. I like that. Yeah, so so for our audience, we're going to continue to do that every show before we jump in. Uh, we we're going to send out anyone that needs that wants to send in questions to us via our Twitter or our Instagram, or you know, if you want to text Jules or me, you know, you can do it that way as well. But if you guys have any questions for us, just definitely feel free to keep them coming. Nothing yeah, is off. Yeah, nothing is off target, unless you want to know our social security number. <laughs> <laughs> You can't do much with mine, so yeah, I mean, no, I'm just <laughs> and, and and if you do ask, I'll just give you my brothers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to open up some some man. Run that up. He got yeah, that virgin. Right? He got that virgin credit too, bro. Oh, oh man. Yes, Ooh, we... <laughs> yeah, he's I like, like he's he's in that eight hundred club. So oh yeah, you can do a lot of stuff with his man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There are some people, they still getting, what, what they're getting? They're getting cable in their kids' name. <laughs> Bruh, don't even get me started on that. I, I remember coming up, I'm like, what's comment? <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I got a bill? What's this bill for? In my name. You're only six years old, Thomas. <laughs> what's payment do? <laughs> By the time some of these kids are 11 years old, they, they fucking FICA scores like 300. <laughs> Man, boy, you talking about a bad handoff. <laughs> well, speaking of handoff, man, uh, by the time that this podcast will come out, the Super Bowl would have already gone down. So obviously we're recording uh-huh, here on a yes, Saturday. Uh, but tomorrow we got the big game, mm-hmm. Jules. Ooh, yeah, buddy. I can't wait. Tom can't Brady wait. making his 10th mm-hmm. Super Bowl appearance, bro. Unbelievable. You got teams that ain't made 10 appearances. Hell no. I was just, That was a good point. I was just thinking that. I'm like... His 10 Super Bowl appearances are more than a lot of teams combined. <laughs> that is crazy. That is amazing. I mean, you cannot hate a brother like that. If you're hating on a brother because you just, you just, you just hate him. Yeah. Let's be honest. Point blank. He, Tom Brady is just a hardworking guy who came up. He sat under Bledsoe for a year, I believe, and took over. He took Bledsoe's job while he was resting. <laughs> shit. Right. Shit. Right. Bledsoe, Bledsoe got hurt. Tom Brady stepped in and the rest was history, bro. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Bledsoe, I don't know if he went to another team or did he retire? I forgot. No, he went to another team after uh after he went Patriots. to another team. Okay. Yeah. He played for okay. I, I remember he played for the Cowboys at one point too. But uh but dude, Tom man. Brady, man, with a win tomorrow, that'd be ring ring number seven, bro. You know, he's he uh people asked him about what is it? Because you know you're talking about playing until 45. I saw that, man. I'm like, damn, because he's 43, bro. He's 43. He's talking about two more years. My thing is, he had nothing else to prove. No. All this is is the love of the game. Because you have to love something like that to keep continuing doing what you're doing. Jules, that's an incredible point. Also, think about this. 
it has to be the love of the game because he can't do anything more. He probably could do more accomplishment-wise, but he's already to go to football. Oh, he's all right. Already. But already. think about what he's doing behind the scenes. And it's kind of what we've talked about so far these last couple episodes is the commitment behind the scenes that people are doing to level up. He makes so many sacrifices with his body. Dude, mm-hmm. they said this dude like uses like certain type of sleepwear. He goes to bed at a certain hour. He don't eat sweets. Uh, he drinks large amounts of water. I mean, like he's doing, he does all kind of stuff, man, to just kind of help himself have the best mindset and also the mm-hmm. best, you know, energy going into, you know, what he's trying to do. You know, it, it asked him about his workouts, regimen stuff. And he said that his workouts and how his body recover is essential. And he got a great support cast. His support cast is amazing. You know, what you were just talking about, his personal life was his wife and kids and the things he do to get his mentally focused, his body's in great shape. And the teams and the owners, coaches job into putting people around him to take care of him. I mean, all of that plays a part. And for him to last as long as everything had to be in, in one accord. And yep. that's just, I mean, 10 appearance, Perez, 42 years old, his 10 appearance. My thing is, Perez, I ask you and, and also our listeners, why, when we talk about great quarterback, Tom Brady's not number one. I think he is now. I think for a while there, a lot of people had Joe Montana. I know I did for the longest, but when he, when he picked up ring number six, I said, I got to stop sleeping on this guy. This guy's he's, he's a bad man. But I think mm-hmm. universally, he's he's probably considered the, the, the best of all time. Oh, he, he has. I There's mean, no debate, you know. The, right. It shouldn't be a debate. You know, I, I'm not a type of person who just bring up stuff. You know, of course, you have people talk about deflate and spygate and all that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, whatever. But I mean, this, bro- this brother brought six Super Bowl rings, four-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time most viable player. I mean, he was when he was drafted in 2000, he was six-round. Mm-hmm. He was a six-round pick. Yeah, I still remember them combine videos when he was running the 40-yard dash. I think he's still running that shit. He was running so damn slow. Right. You know, we talk about Joe Cool, Joe Montana, for ones yep. who don't know. You know, he four-time Super Bowl, nothing to, nothing to sneeze at. He was a bad man. Drafted third round. 82nd pick, okay. And what he came out of Notre Dame. Let's also talk about, let me think of another one. Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls at will. Mm-hmm. And also you had Peyton Manning, two Super Bowls, but he was drafted first round, first pick. So as for a player from, what I say, six round, 199, mm-hmm. six uh, Super Bowl titles. He played in New England for 20 years and then over his first year in Tampa Bay and they go into a Super Bowl. This brother's special. Yeah, I mean, I got nothing nothing else on that. I'll just say this. Uh, the thing that I've always appreciated about him is that all of the efforts that he does behind the scenes to get his body right, the way mm-hmm. he prepares, and that he never goes at anything half-assed. And that's something that I definitely appreciate with anyone because if anybody's kind of picked up my mentality and just life and how I approach things, there's no half-speed. you know. And I, mm-hmm. I love the fact with Brady that he levels up and he changes the culture. So look at what he did, like what Jules was mentioning, the Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay hasn't even made the playoffs, bro, in a decade. He wow. comes there one year and they're in the Super Bowl. And the thing about it is, it's not like Brady's numbers or anything like that have like set the world on fire this season. But it's his energy and is mm. what he's brought to this organization. He changed their culture. He changed the way that they think and probably the way that they approach things on a day-to-day basis. And that's the thing right there that we talk about people's mentality. Your mentality could take you a long way. If you're negative, well, guess what? You're never going anywhere. You got to right. fucking move forward, and you have to have a winning mindset. And Tom Brady has that at Nensa. <laughs> oh, man. This dude here, he 
he's the GOAT, man. He's the he's the baddest man out there in the NFL. He's like, uh, I don't know, would, would you consider like the, in a way, the LeBron James of football? Uh, Michael you know, Jordan of football. Michael Jordan of football. <laughs> the only reason, I mean, the only reason because when LeBron, when he left, uh, he went to Miami, got a ring. I know where you're going. You know, you know what I'm getting? But, you know, but yeah, the Michael Jordan, of, of course, yeah, the Michael Jordan of football. Okay. But I think you're going at it because when LeBron moves from one team to the next, he changes the culture and then they win, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only difference between what Brady did, though, is Brady didn't also, he didn't start, you know, telling them to get this guy and that guy. I mean, he did get Antonio Brown in the mix, but I think that was more as a favor to save that guy's life. But LeBron, he kind of plays GM a little bit for me, but I'm not going to get okay. into that part too much. I got you. I got you. Got you. So what's your, what's your uh, prediction for the game? Ooh, man. Here we go. I'm going to go with. People don't be mad at me. I'm gonna go with. I'm go with the. I'm go with the Chiefs. All right. What's your score prediction? I want to say 31-28. 31-28. Ooh. And Jules because the line is three, so Jules thinks it's gonna be right there at that line. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I I got the Bucks, man. I got them winning thirty three to twenty six. I okay. just think that I just think while the Chiefs they got a bad boy in that Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I just got a feeling, though, that Tom Brady's going to find some little last magic here in this game, and he's going to do something crazy. I just got a feeling. <laughs> Man, I just want a good game. Yes, sir. I, I just want to sit there. I'm going to actually go by my uh, parents' house and sit over there, bring some wings and some pizza over there. and Okay. I'm going to sit up there with my father and just we're just going to watch the game and, and just cheer and celebrate and just, just have a good time. Hey, man. Tell the fam I said what up, man. Yes, sir. Will do. Is your pops he a, he a big Brady fan? I, he know what he just likes sports. Okay, I'm gonna ask him that because I'm not sure. But he just likes sports. He watch every time I go over there. It's always something on. Yeah, he was watching hockey one day. That was over. I was like, hockey. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was watching hockey. He he watched tennis. He watched uh lo- not too much soccer, but you know baseball, basketball, football, of course. You know, but he just likes sports. Okay, college, college high school is every you know everything. Socks or Cubs. For pops, <laughs> socks. That is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. I see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. T- tell the folks I said what's up, man. Yeah, that's gonna be fun tomorrow. I think we're gonna get treated to a good game, even though Jules, it don't feel like Super Bowl week. I don't know if it's just because of this damn pandemic, but this don't have the same buzz that Super Bowl week normally has. Right, right. That's because you don't have all the things leading up to Super Bowl because you right. have a lot of the players be having. Conferences and talking, yeah, the, people the media can, week, yeah, yeah, the media week, yeah. So we don't get a chance to see that because of the pandemic. So, um, what I am happy about that, uh, in Tampa Bay, they having a was the first responders come in. I think it was ten thousand people supposed to come in to watch the game for free. Yeah, they're like healthcare workers. Oh, that's dope. I didn't right. hear yeah, that. They have that's yeah, real about, dope. it's about ten thousand. Ten thousand were able to come in for free and and watch the game inside yeah. the uh, stadium. That's dope. I wonder if they uh if they invited my mom. She didn't mention that. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, your mom's gonna be like, yeah, baby, I'm uh I'll be back. I had to go out of town for a few, but uh <laughs> but lock up, make sure everything is good. <laughs> Don't yeah, wish yet. I'll be sending my brother over there. I ain't doing that. <laughs> but no, uh, but no, man, I think that's that game though is gonna be really uh really exciting and uh Halftime, I think what they said the weekend is gonna do the performance. Yep, weekend. So that should be that should be cool. Nice. Oh, it's gonna be a good game, man. I, I I'm just glad I'm off. I'm just sit back and just relax and just watch this watch this game and eat, man. And just and I wish uh 
my numbers hit. I bought some squares. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you're you're in the other pool too. I got to get you those numbers as well. Yes, sir. Yeah, we just pulled those yesterday. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Mm. Mr. Jules. Man, if I win some money, <laughs> here we come, table. I'm buying it. Okay, there you go. High park table for jewels and garage deductible for prayers. If I hear, yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. You know what, prayers? I'm. You know what? If I, you know what, I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna chip in for your garage, man. I'm gonna hold off on the high park table. I'm gonna chip in for the garage. Look at this guy, jewels. Oh man, <laughs> go get, go get your table, bro. Okay. go get your table. Maybe uh. Maybe what you could do is uh, you could you could buy me a bottle of wine when we when we had that first show in the in the in the, in the garage. When, when oh, all you know like, what? I'm on it. Hey, hey, I'm there. Hey, I got you. There you go. See, see how that works. That'd be good. Well, man, let's get into the uh, to the the meat and potatoes of the episode here, man. So we're gonna be talking about the Solidar brothers. Uh, before we got into that, though, I wanted to talk about a couple of uh, executive orders that Biden recently signed. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it, uh, Jules. So the first one that I thought was kind of interesting was the one where it was a Buy American plan. And I really liked that one in the sense that American taxpayers' money, in essence, should be spent on American goods that are made by American workers and with American-made parts. What this order is going to do is it's going to basically strengthen the rules surrounding the government procurement process when they're bidding on these type of jobs. And so I thought that that was really good to make sure that the money that we're earmarking with our taxpayer dollars is staying within the U.S. Like, what did you think about that? Here's the thing. Why should it be another way? Yeah, you tell me. Man, I mean, how'd you put it, how you defined it, that should have been having the day one. Yeah, so why wasn't it? Because the thing about it was, these federal agencies, they was doing everything in their, their power to find loopholes and waivers to go around it. And they were spending a lot of money in China. So is it we outsourcing these jobs? Is it because so the rich get richer? Oh, I think what it is is that it was cheaper to procure a lot of these, not just the jobs, but the goods and the services. Mm -hmm. They're cheaper. So they were basically trying to say, hey, you know what? It's cheaper for us to get this stuff in these countries. And it's more expensive to buy this stuff domestically. The thing about it was, though, a lot of people don't even realize, Jules, is that China surpassed the U.S., and became the largest recipient of foreign direct investment for the first time last year during the pandemic. And that says a lot. Oh, wow. So that's why, you know, we got to, well, everything got to be American in order for America to grow and then also have other countries come and buy from us. We can do the same thing, what China's doing and in the other places, the other countries doing, we can do the same thing where other countries buy from us too. I think the big thing about this, and that's a good point, I think that the order mostly is going to be really effective because there's more than $600 billion of uh, federal spend that we're basically looking at potentially going back into the hands of Americans. Like, so as we've talked about before on the show, these small business owners that took a hit last year, mm-hmm. well, these small business owners probably are very happy to hear about this Biden order, you know, especially any of those small business owners that have government contracts. Yeah, definitely give them a chance where they can keep their, keep their company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. keep them employed, keep them business, keep them busy, employed other people. So. That was a big sign. And you can hear my voice. I'm a little confused. Like, why are we not doing this in the first place? Well, I'll say this, man. Just thinking about who the last president was and then thinking about some of the presidents before that. Uh-huh. For some reason, I don't understand why a lot of these individuals didn't make this a priority. Especially think about Trump. He upended all of the different trade relationships that we had with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So you remember that he, 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 he kicked off a trade war with China. 
And he basically said that that was in the interest of protecting manufacturers. But I felt like a lot of the stuff that he did was just like getting in pissing matches with people and didn't really have like more of a solution behind it. Whereas I think that what Biden is attempting to do, I think he's actually trying to come up with solutions to help some of the issues that we have. Actions be loud in words. Mm-hmm. And that's that is very, very good uh, uh, order to sign there because those one of them things. Hey, we need it. America need it. Yes, People need do. it. But small business need it. And it creates more jobs, creates wealth for, uh, for America in general. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that the act kind of spoke on, and I thought this was really important, Jules, is uh, it requires companies that accept federal contracts. They have to be fully based in the U.S. Okay. And they can't source any of their supply chains internationally. So basically, it's on them to basically prove that it's too expensive for them to source their products domestically. Because mm. like I said earlier, a lot of these companies were trying to use these loopholes to get around it. So basically what this is going to do is going to force them to say, okay, well, what have you done to basically source this stuff within your own country first before you farm it outside? So I think this is going to be really good, man. I really like that one. I'm glad you brought that one up because I heard a little bit about it, but not you know in detail. But wow, that's a big win. Yeah, I, I really do like that. It's Because... You know, Trump used to always say America first, but this is actually an order that Biden put in that actually kind of actually represents that whole idea of America first. Because we got to protect our own. <laughs> we do. If not, if not, nobody else will. No. <laughs> nobody else can, will. Because you see China, man, they're, they're right there on our, they're nipping at our heels, bro. Hopefully yeah. this administration, you know, continues to take steps in this, in this way to kind of solve some of the, the economic issues that, that this country has. Another thing about Biden, and it kind of sums up the episode that we're going to do today, audience, is he mentioned that his administration wasn't likely to end, obviously, racial injustice, because this is stuff that's been going on for decades, if not centuries, right? But he promised that while he's in office, that the federal government will take every action possible to address these problems. So at least he's actually realizing, hey, there's inequities out here. And I'm going to basically look for ways that I can basically find solutions to these problems. Mm -hmm. So systemic racism, racial equity, these are things that basically people have been asking for, God, and protesting for and speaking out for, Um, for so many years, right? Yeah, for so many. Right, (laughs) right. And so it seems like with this administration, they're doing a lot of things to make sure that America can kind of get back on some sort of a somewhat level playing field. So. They're going to be establishing some recent executive orders from Biden. They're going to be addressing and establishing a police oversight commission. They're going to be restoring some Obama-era policies that prohibit the sale of military equipment to local police departments. They're also, and this is going to tie into the episode that we're doing today, they're going to eliminate the Department of Justice's use of private prisons. And then they're rolling back the Trump-era policies prohibiting racial sensitivity training which I think is another thing that Jules and I have talked about on this podcast of how can you police or how can you interact with a world that you don't understand, right? True, true. So I think it's very vital to make sure that these individuals that are out here patrolling, they know the people, you know? And, and And I've talked about this on the podcast of when I grew up, my grandmother knew who the officers were, whether they were white, black, or whatever. They will have conversations with the law enforcement. And, and that relationship is so frayed right now that I think some of these policies that we're seeing will go a long way to try to help at least bridge that gap a little bit. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I hope, man. You know, Obama in 2016 said that to talk about the private prison, 
you know, it's more of a safety and security problems for those that, you know, ran by the government. And you want to move to phase those out. But of course, your boy, your boy Trump, you know, reversed that decision. Yep. So sure now, did. yeah, so now Biden is is bringing it back and he signed that executive order. You know, those prison industrial complexes, you know, they describe for expansion of the U.S. and MA population to political influences of private yep. prisons. You know, these companies and businesses, they supply the goods to these, these prisons for profit. It's all about money. All about money. And they need people to people in there. It's and, a business. And, that, and that's why they're filling those things up as fast as they mm-hmm. can. Because mm-hmm. like you said, Jules, I mean, these things, this is a billion dollar industry right. with, with these type of facilities. Mm-hmm. And they're paid for with taxpayer money. So once again. <laughs> right. And one of the things, too, that we've actually seen from a lot of these type of facilities are they have dehumanizing conditions for the inmates. And then also, too, they kind of treat the people that are being detained. It's like almost kind of like cheap slave labor for them. And mm-hmm. under Trump, we saw that the use of these private prisons went through the roof because he used them for like immigration uh, detention centers and where they were kind of locking up the undocumented immigrants. Okay. And a lot of those people, we, we saw the videos, how those people were treated so horribly and forced to be in some of those places. So, man, to Jules' point, this is all big business for these individuals. And so I like that this executive order is basically telling these individuals, you cannot renew your federal contracts with these private prisons. So I really, really appreciate that. And it's in stark contrast, because Jules, you remember that I kind of called out Biden earlier in the season because remember, he was one of those people that helped the Senate win the quote-unquote war on crime. So right. now it seems like a lot of the stuff that Biden is doing, he's realizing maybe some of the stuff that I put into action at that time was a little too punitive, especially for people of color. And so it seems like now what he's trying to do is he's trying to kind of lighten up some of those things that he kind of helped uh, put into to law. Mm-hmm. You know, he opened up his eyes to a little bit uh, different things. Let's be honest, you need prison. Unfortunately, in this world, in this society, you need prisons. To, but as far as some of the people that are going in there, maybe there's a different avenue. Maybe there's a different route they can take besides prison. Because, you know, not a lot of people, you know, not everybody needs to be locked up. There's people out here that need need help. Right. And the thing about it is you know, that what we've seen in the history with the, the prison system is that there's people that are just very quick to throw someone to lock them mm-hmm. away for crimes that are very minimal. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk about some of that here as we transition into the episode. But I do agree that prison is necessary. Mm-hmm. But what I do think, though, is that there are situations that we can look for alternatives. Um, there's a lot of people that are committing low-level offenses. We have individuals that they're throwing in prison for not paying child support. So there's a lot of things that we're locking people away for, and it's just really problematic to me. True. No, I agree with you. Some things is get it taken care of. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the things. All right, bro, man, go ahead and take care of that. But yeah, to to lock somebody up for years on, you know, a small crime misdemeanor or whatever, however you want to describe it. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Mm-hmm. It's rough, but now you see the the when we pull back the curtain on that, you see well, there's things that people can gain mm-hmm. from this. There's big, like like you said, it's billion dollar industry, it's big business, and you need to fill these these jail cells up. So it all go hand in hand on what the underlying um, things is where you know, as people want to get get paid, who's in position of power and, and who own these things where they just trying to get get theirs. So yeah. And I on think too expensive, on the expense of others. So uh, yeah, on their backs, you mm-hmm. know. And the thing mm-hmm. about it is, 
I would wonder the type of corporations that are out there in this world that have uh, financed and invested in these private prisons, we would probably shaking our heads if we probably saw some of the people that have been able to profit off of these things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, Jules, let's get into this, man. So let's talk about the Solidad Brothers. For any of our listeners, and we've had a couple that were curious about some of the content that we were going to put out over uh, the course of this month for, for Black History Month. And this story was one that I thought was like amazing, a story that wasn't taught in school. You know, a lot of times you heard about the Black Panthers and you heard about a lot of the other type of individuals that that rose up against oppression. But this situation with the Solidarity Brothers is one that I hadn't really heard about until, you know, I got out of college. And so for our audience, Jules and I, we're going to just, you know, go over the specifics of this case and kind of why it was important and why we thought for Black History Month, this was something that we, you know, should have an episode on. So kind of kick off the discussion. This story takes place back in 1970. So just to give the audience just like the, the quick cliff notes, January 13th, there was a situation at this prison where 14 black inmates and two white inmates from this maximum security section of the Soledad prison, they were released into a rec yard for, for activity time. Now, one thing for everybody to take to take note of in this situation was that it had been several months since these inmates were allowed out into the yard. Because mm. what happened previously was that there was an Aryan Brotherhood incident where they beat two young Black prisoners to death. So then they closed the rec yard for a few months. And so now in this situation, they allowed it opened again, and you had these inmates that are out socializing, right? Mm. So the Black inmates were ordered to the far end of the yard, and the white inmates were kind of near the center of the yard. What happened was, is, of course, you can probably understand what ended up happening next, audience. A fight breaks out between <laughs> the two sides. Officer uh, O.P. Miller, who was basically an expert marksman, had a rifle. Mm-hmm. He was basically in a guard tower above the yard. So when that fight breaks out, he opens fire on the prisoners below. And now what people say in about this situation that was problematic in a sense was that there was no warning shot that was fired in this incident. So right. three three black inmates were killed in the shooting. W.L. Nolan, Cleveland Edwards, they died. Mm-hmm. And then Alvin Miller later died in the prison hospital a few hours later. Now, there was a white inmate, Billy Harris, that was wounded. He got shot in the groin by the fourth yeah. shot. But Damn. it was very problematic because you got to look at what W.L. Nolan's his role was in this prison. And so I wanted to just take a second here to tell the audience a little bit about this, and I was going to let Jules give his points. But W.L. Nolan filed a petition in the courts prior to his death. And what he did in that petition is he talked about the treatment of the inmates in that prison. And he said that those prison guards at Soledad were complicit in racial strife. And he also said that at times they aided the white inmates um, in ways that were not actionable in court. So basically said, Things like leaving cell doors open that would endanger the lives of African-American inmates, that they would put fecal matter and broken glass in their food. So he basically started to paint the picture of some of the things that were going on in these prisons at mm-hmm. that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, he was one of the founders of the Black Liberation Movement in the California prison system. So when you look at that type of individual as being someone that was shot down, to me, it just makes me wonder, hey, was there something deeper? In line here, was there something as Jules says a, a lot on the podcast? Was this insidious? Was this pre-planned? Right? Because this all happened during the era 
where the California prison system just has so many injustices towards people of color. But then you also got to realize that the prison system in general was notorious for violence against black prisoners. So that kind of sets the stage for this entire situation that happened with the Solidarity Brothers. And I'm going to let Jules jump in here. But that right there, I just wanted to make sure that I painted that picture for the audience of where they can know what took place, the people that were basically impacted, and the role of W.L. Nolan, because that's going to be a name that we want you guys to kind of keep in mind as you you know listen to this episode. W.L. rattled the cage. Before that, he was in San Quentin. He was in San Quentin and got transferred over. Solidarity Prison was a pretty much a training facility, training right. uh, prison, mm-hmm. more privatized. So which means, hey, you up in there, you, you fighting. Yeah. You fighting because you fight the people that run that department. Well, I want people to understand. We want people to understand. It's their rules, their house, their rules. And you come in there bucking up and barking up against the system. Oh, yeah, we're going to deal with you. And that's why you can say, well, is this insidious? Because now you, you're getting people, to, you're getting a voice out there and hearing what was going on, the conditions. It's deplorable. Food, glass and food, cell doors open. Uh, it's a deplorable, inhumane prison. Now, all of a sudden, okay, out of months, people getting locked down, you let, let these cats out in the yard. There was a fight in Opie, correctional officer Opie, opened up fire, killing three, wounded one, one white guy. And then, and then, like you said, Perez, no warning shot, no tear gas, no right. whistle. So I don't know what to say about this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's, weird. It's really yeah. weird. And the thing too, so then now you had that incident where these mm-hmm. people were basically killed and then the one uh, as the officer was wounded. But then following that incident, 13 prisoners that were African-American they started a hunger strike. Mm-hmm. And the point of that hunger strike is they were trying to secure an investigation into Officer Miller's involvement in that and the murder of those three inmates, right? This is something that I'm going to make a parallel between this situation and some of the things that we're seeing in today's time. The Black prisoners made what I thought were very reasonable and legal requests. They wanted Miller to be arrested and they wanted a grand jury investigation into what took place. Now, mm-hmm. I want our audience to just think about the parallel that I'm getting ready to make here. Look at today's time, where we have acts of violence that happen against people of color in this country. And when we have people that are protesting peacefully, you know, that are trying to get things done and try to get things moved, they're ignored. Well, these Black prisoners had the same situation that happened because the Monterey County DA, they waited three days before announcing a ruling on what was going to happen with Opie Miller. So he was exonerated, shockingly, (laughs) in the deaths of Nolan Edwards and Miller. And they called it justifiable homicide. So when I read this, and I thought to myself, Jules, I said, wow. So the deaths of Black men doing civil rights reform inside a prison was ruled probable justifiable homicide. And I thought, wow. Did they talk to anyone that was involved in the fight outside. And when I looked further, none of the black inmates were permitted to testify, right. including those that had been in the rec yard during the shooting itself. And I thought, well, wouldn't you want to get testimony from individuals that were there? No. And then why wouldn't they want that information? Well, see, Perez, it's those, those things, like I said before, their house, their rules. They're not going to make it fair. Now, let's be honest. J. Edgar Hoover... John Edgar Hoover, however you want to call him, was the first American 
law enforcement administrator who, who ran the FBI. And he had a program called COINTELPRO. COINTELPRO is counterintelligence program. Mm-hmm. And all they do, the FBI did surveillance, did influence, discriminating, assassinating mm-hmm. Talk to domestic political organization, organizers. So, for example, Martin Luther King. For example, the Black Panther Party. Yep. Not to mention Fred Hampton. There's going to be a story next week about, a movie next week about Fred Hampton. And also Billie Holiday. So you there was, <laughs> it was methodical on how they did things. And that's why when you coming up, bucking up against their system, they're going to deal with you. Now, I think I said before, Nolan wrote the list. No, it was Jackson. I'm sorry if it clears up. Yeah, Jackson wrote the list. Well, Jackson and, and Nolan, they ran the Black Gorilla family. Jackson was a part of the, uh, you know, Black Panther Party. He actually had ranking. And yeah, he wrote the letters. He actually did, yep. He wrote yep. the letters, which would gain recognition. And people was listening. He had a big following, and that is a problem. No, it's definitely a problem. So That's a problem. Going back to this situation, so after the um, verdict came out and Miller was exonerated, an hour, and the thing I think about this, those prisoners, they weren't allowed to testify, and they heard this announcement come over, I think, prior to prison radio. Okay. So what ended up happening was an hour later, John Mills, one of the guards there, was thrown over an upper tier wing, and he died in the prison hospital. The part where we're going to basically talk to you guys about how the Soledad brothers came to be was the fact that without evidence, prison authorities charged George Jackson. So Jackson was the individual that Jules was speaking about earlier with writing letters. And we're going to dig into that in a moment about what those letters were and, and, and why those letters are prominent in this story. But you had him, you had Fleeta Drongo, and you had John Cutchett. These individuals were charged with the death of Mills. And again, without any evidence. Right. <laughs> they, became, they became known right. as Soledad Brothers. The Soledad Brothers, exactly. Right. And so they were alleged to have murdered Mills in retaliation for the shooting deaths of those three Black prisoners during that, that prison fight. So Jules was mentioning the, the, the letters. So what, what he was referring to was Jackson published a work called Soledad Brother, Prison Letters of George Jackson. Mm-hmm. And it was in these letters from prison where he described not only the attitudes of the staff towards the convicts, but he also explained the conditions that they went through, how things were hostile towards them, and how just in sheer, pure hatred they were treated by the uh, individuals that were were tasked with protecting the uh, the prison. So his account of life at the prison was used by the Soledad Brothers Defense Committee. And so this committee was formed by Faye Stender. And so what Faye did was she assisted in publicizing this case and raising funds to defend these three brothers. And what ended up happening was is this uh, Soledad Brothers Defense Committee, it got support of not only this Faye Stender, but Angela Davis. She Mm -hmm. got involved. And also... Well, big time. Oh, yeah. And then also (laughs) George Jackson, his mother, was someone that was very... Uh, much in the mix. And in their own different distinct ways from when I did like my reading on this, these three women went on to not only memorialize Jackson and these other two brothers, but they helped to redefine prison abolitionism Mm -hmm. because Faye defended them in court. Angela Davis, obviously we talked about, she joined. But then what Faye also did was she was the one to introduce Jackson to the publisher that basically put his book out. Okay. Those letters. Okay. 
And I thought that that was really phenomenal. But then the fact that they got the awareness out there about this case, it became so big that you had celebrities that joined in, like Mm -hmm. Marlon Brando, Jane Fonda, you know, all these different famous people. Big names. Big names. names. They got involved because they were outraged at the things that they were hearing about that were going on in this prison, Jules. When you get the letters and listen to uh, read the letters, and there's people actually have good heart. And they see, well, just because you in the prison or in jail, rather, you shouldn't have to be treated like less than an animal. You know, there's conditions where, okay, you you did something, you were you sitting in there, but you, hell, you're still a human being. You still yep. need good food. You still need adequate essentials, health care, and a rehabilitating program. What George did was monumental because it got his voice out there. Hey, listen, because let me, let's be honest. If he didn't write those letters, we might still be looking at some of this uh, today because yeah, we are, but it, yeah. it, it, it will be, it'll be, it'll be worse. You know what I'm saying? It, it's things that always can get better, but without these letters here, my God, I wouldn't, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't hear the story. And the thing about it is, we know that that's how this stuff works, that mm-hmm. you have to have this awareness before people start to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I wanted our audience to think about with the, with the situation with George Jackson, he was jailed because he was accused of stealing $70 from a right. gas station, right? right. Mm-hmm. So he was given a sentence of a year to life, and it was probably because he was black. And he was kept incarcerated for years under the most dehumanizing conditions. And those are the conditions that he talked about um, in his letters. They said even despite evidence of his innocence, though, the court encouraged Jackson to take a plea deal. Right. <laughs> and, they, and what was he rewarded with in that plea deal? Man. <laughs> One year to life. One year. Dude, come on. Uh, normally a plea is a, okay, you get a lighter sentence. Yeah. And you talking about some more, you know, like, what, what? Hell, I'd have looked at him like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what the hell what, did I sign? Yeah, what'd y'all do to me? Right. <laughs> Shit. What oh, is this? <laughs> wow. But the thing about it is, though, we just want people to realize that this situation was these individuals stood up in this prison system. They were bringing awareness, as Jules mentioned. They were bucking the system. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. When you buck the system, they're going to buck back. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. they didn't like the the fact that these guys were making noise. Now, when the Soledad brothers were going through the trial, the trial had to be moved to San Francisco. However, a lot of people that were supporters of the Soledad brothers, they seemed to be worried about some of the circumstances that were not only surrounding the trial, but they were also concerned about the treatment of George Jackson and some of the other inmates. So what ended up happening, and I wanted to tell our audience a story about what took place on August 7th, 1970, because this was a monumental part of this case, because what ended up happening was George Jackson's 17-year-old brother, Jonathan Jackson, kind of took matters into his own hands. He was basically entrusted as Angela Davis's bodyguard. And the reason why they made him that is because she received multiple death threats because she was an anti-racist activist, and obviously she was heavily involved in this case. Mm-hmm. But what Jonathan did was he held up a courtroom during the trial of a prisoner, James McLean. And what this individual was charged with at the time was an attempted stabbing of a Soledad guard. So mm-hmm. what, Jackson did, what Jackson did was he took hostages, and he wanted to exchange them for the freedom of the Soledad brothers. 
and for his the life of his brother George to be spared. Now, prison guards and the district attorney, they actually killed Jonathan because what happened was they were able to kind of get away, but the police had built up a, a roadblock. And so then they, you know, gunned him down, right? Two of the black prisoners, William Christmas and James McLean, who assisted him, and the judge. Now, they, they took the judge up out of there. Right, right. Now, when the guards fired into the van, it basically killed most of the people that were involved in this situation, right? Jonathan Jackson basically was armed, and he actually temporarily freed three of the San Quentin prisoners, and they had put a sawed-off shotgun around the neck of the judge. Of the judge, yeah. Judge Haley. Judge Haley, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. I just want people to just kind of think about this situation here. So now, you have this 17-year-old kid. Now, you have to think about this. What would prompt someone to basically do something this brazen? (laughs) Bro. Hey, (laughs) I couldn't do it. Hell no. I'm like, hey, hey, Jules, you know what? I'm going to figure this thing out, man. I'm going to get some money up for you, man. (laughs) We're going to figure this out. Right, right. (laughs) What what, what, what pockets do we have to grease? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, listen. I'm not running up in there, though, bro. (laughs) Listen, you coming up in there with guns and rifles and stuff like taking the judge out, the district attorney, juries, and freeing prisoners? Come on, brother. Man. Listen, you know what? Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry, he was uh, a, a rev- uh, during the revolutionary period, yep. had a quote. He said, give me liberty or give me death. Mm-hmm. Hey, they was like, we're going we gonna to get liberty or death because that plan there, and that yeah. we, we, we talked about their defense. That was that first defense. <laughs> yeah. That was that defense. Like, you know what? I don't think we're going to win this, and I don't think we're going to make it out because, listen, they're facing the gas chamber. They're facing the gas chamber. Let's be yep. honest. So yep. they're fighting for their lives. And when you're back up against the wall, Hey, you know what? Jonathan come out. Jonathan was like, you know what? I, I can't see my brother go out like this. Right. So you can you can kind of see where he was at. But as far as executing that and thinking he's yeah. going to get away with it, I right, well, now, hold on now. Hold no. on. We ain't think this too through. <laughs> no. And you know what the thing is about it is the judge, he got killed because. Yeah, he got killed. Because the the the, the shotgun discharged. Mm-hmm. Because what right, you said, you said it was taped to his, uh, it was taped to him, wasn't it? It was taped around his neck some kind of way. Right. That yeah, was freaky, but okay. Yeah, but the thing about it is, like you said, the execution wasn't there because you could tell that this was something that they did out of emotion. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And all of the Panthers ended up dying except for one of them. But as we mentioned, the district attorney, who was also one of the people that was involved, he got paralyzed because he got shot. Right. He got hit in the spine. And then one of the jurors who they also basically abducted, she was struck in the arm. So- the reason why we wanted to tell you guys this part of the discussion is to let you know that, look, these individuals were seeing this, the treatment of these three individuals. They also heard the other stories that were going on with people in this prison, and they were fucking desperate. They wanted to find some sort of way of making sure that somebody listened to their, basically, attempts and pleas, but the execution of it, it just wasn't there. The thing that I really enjoyed about reading on Jackson's story was this brother was sharp, man. He was only like 29 years old, but this dude, he just put everything out there for the world to be able to pick up on. Mm -hmm. And he basically showed you, listen, these guards and these prison officials, they're doing everything that's possible 
to keep the public ignorant of the way prisoners are being treated in this state. Of course. You know, and the thing that I really, it is a parallel that I have to today's time. So there's a book that I read over the summer. It was The New Jim Crow. And I'm not sure if you read that one or saw Mm. it, Jules, but it was written by uh, Michelle Alexander. And when I looked at some of those letters that Jackson wrote, I was like, damn, it's like parallels to the hyper-policing of Black people that Michelle talked about in her book, The New Jim Crow. And then I thought about, well, this stuff didn't begin with Bloomberg stopping Frisk, because that's something that a lot of people in New York criticized him for and how they used that to lock up people of color. But you have to think about these policies that they've been that they've been put in place, they've used these policies against people of color for many, many years. That's the thing that runs deep in the prison system. So the thing about Jackson's story that was really even more unique, and Jules, I'm gonna let you jump back in here, but the last point that I had on this was a lot of people probably don't even realize that he spent seven years in solitary confinement. Okay. And it it was in a wing of the, the, uh, the prison where prisoners were forced to sleep and eat their own filth. Now, just think about that for a second, the conditions that he was forced to be in and think about his original crime. Mm. And then you could also wonder maybe why his brother felt the need to do what he did to free him from those conditions. Well, dude, you hit on the head. I was just about to say that. He spent most of his time in solitary confinement. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing why this this brother here is so special. He didn't use that time and just fall into, you know, just, just, just let himself go. Right. He, he learned, he was reading up on things, political and theories, and he made himself better in worse conditions. That, that right there, that mindset of this young brother is extraordinary. But still, like you said, like we was talking about on, on this pod, that we cannot keep this up. Th- this cannot be. And that's what he said. Pretty much he sacrificed himself. Yes. He sacrificed himself in a greater for other people. Listen, we know it is what it is. Stuff happened. You can go to prison. But that doesn't mean you should be in inhumane conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't give COs or anybody the right to treat you less than anybody else. I mean, hey, we all were made equal. Mm-hmm. That's all. But see, in that time, in the 70s, but that time right there, it was just, he was before his time. But he, at that time, he was put there for a reason to bring this out, to expose this. And that's why you can see what other people, you have celebrities and what his brother was trying to do because he wasn't going to get no fair shake there. No, they knew. Yeah, they knew. They, you know what I'm saying? Him and his buddy, WL, you know what I'm saying? They, like I said earlier, like we said earlier in the pod, they started this, this program. But mm-hmm. you know what? WL got assassinated. Yep. That was it. It was it. You know what? We, we got to do something and we got to do it now because this right here is not going to end well. And I'm sorry, Perez, if I got off the subject, but it, it was just, it's, it's, it's emotional because at that time, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes of what he was doing. Yeah. And the thing about it is, and Jules, you never got to apologize to me because I, I was like sitting here and I, I loved hearing that because what I took from that was kind of like the same thing what you took. I thought, I put myself in his shoes and I thought, well, my God, what would I have done if I'd have been in his situation? Because you knew this wasn't going to end well for you. No. Because you were a target. And we know that in history has shown us that anytime a person of color has spoken up and been a strong symbol for change, what's happened to them? Now, you brought up earlier, 
uh-huh. Dr. King. Yeah. They Malcolm X. Right. They first they discredit, and then if that don't work, then they take them out. Mm-hmm. Hey, we better be careful. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, they, they, they better bring it. I'll just As play they, they, they probably don't want to mess up my fucking garage. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> come on, now, come on. Buddy. Hey, you're a fool, man. <laughs> God damn. That's what happened. Because I was like, some snow they did that? What the hell? I'm like, man, who blew up my damn garage? You trying to send me a message? Guess what? Prayers don't scare easy. There you go. <laughs> Shit. Hey, man, I'm on my way, man. I'm on my way over there, man. Appreciate you. <laughs> hey, for all our Wire uh, fans out there, hey, when you come for the king, you better not miss. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, Jules, with, with this situation, hey, man, and thank you so much, man, just because you're, you're insight to this, it just, like, it fired me up because now I want to tell our audience what ended up happening to Jackson. They accused him in prison of murdering a guard. Now, there was this whole elaborate scheme that Jules and I aren't going to really take the time to really dig into. But basically what he was accused of was they said that his lawyer smuggled a wig and a gun into the prison. And then basically he used that gun to kill a prison guard Mm -hmm. and to free some other prisoners, right? Okay. But again, it was a situation where they didn't really have proof. And then years later, that situation where they said that the lawyer smuggled the gun in, in 86, they found that that accusation was actually not true, right? Right. But prison officials at the time deemed that Jackson was the only one that would do something like what ended up happening. So basically, they said, hey, this guy's guilty. And days before his trial in that guard's killing, and so this is going to kind of paint the picture for the story that we're talking about with the gun and all the circuses around that. They accused him of launching a riot at San Quentin with a nine millimeter pistol. And that's the pistol that they accused the lawyer of bringing into the prison. And so there's a huge controversy over the course of events that led to Jackson getting his firearm because those prison officials are saying that the lawyer brought it in. But then there's other people that are saying one of the prison guards gave him that gun. They think that he was set up. And so the thing about it is, all we know is the guy had a gun in his possession, but how did he get access to this gun? Right. And, and a wig. And a wig. I mean, the brother already had it pro, but uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, he was good. He didn't need yeah. no wig. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that you know, this right here is just go to show you that things can be set up and they'll spin in a way it will make you bleep. Now, could the could his lawyer come in with the gun? Could be. It could. But we don't we don't know. See, well, the thing is they they were saying well, how well remember though, years later though, they found that there that those accusations weren't true. So the lawyer was actually cleared of that in 86. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yep. So um just speaking on, yeah, I'm sorry. Let me clear, let me clarify. Just speaking on what, what was going on at that time. Oh, at the time, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Let me clear that up. No, thank you for saying that, Presley. So because one of the stories was, because I'm like, well, how did somebody sneak a gun? Don't they have metal detectors? And, uh-huh. and don't people get, well, I don't think they get wine back there, but pat down and, you yeah, know, show everything. Mm-hmm. Probably you damn have to get naked before you go in the prison, right? So search. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> how do you get a gun in a wig? And But so one of the, the uh, lawyer had a briefcase. Right, and with the tape recorder. With right? the tape recorder. Mm-hmm. And saying that it was underneath the tape recorder or in the tape recorder in, in that way or, you know. 
But my thing is, if I saw that wig, I'm like, where are you going with that with that wig? Like, what? <laughs> it, yeah, it just doesn't make president. It don't make sense. No, I'm trying, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around it and say, okay, you know, I'm trying to be un- unbiased as possible. I'm looking at it from both lenses. Yep. So, yep. you know, like on everything, in you know, like everything we do. So, yep. yep. Um, but it just don't make sense. It doesn't make but, sense. But yeah. but the guard giving George the gun, and you know what they're gonna do with it. Yep. You know what they're gonna do with it. Of course. My thing is, I wish that brother would have just, nah, nah, nah. Because that was just right, yep. right. Because once again, and then they saying something about like, okay, gentlemen, the dragon has come. A statement that he said to the prison, like, yeah, we're about to, we're about to tear this thing up. And then he run out to the yard and he get shot and killed. Because they say he was making an attempt to escape it made across right. the prison yard. One thing for the audience to think about on this situation, this was something that I took away from it. The prisoners or the guards who witnessed the whole situation, neither side will talk about what they saw that day. The prisoners, obviously, because they probably were suspected of murder, but then the guards, I assume, were probably under orders to keep their mouths fucking shut. And because of that, there's so many gaps in this story. Because when I was reading through it, Jules, I was like, this is a wild-ass story. Like, what what, what are they saying happened here? Right. It's everywhere. All over the place. It's all over the place. So you have to do your research and come up with your own theory and see what happened. Like we talk about in this in this pod, like the episode today, what what we all the information we bring it. Now you can you and if you want to do some more research, you can do further research and come up with your own theory. Mm-hmm. Because our theory is, oh, this was oh, this was hey, this is a big chess move. And one thing too, the day after George Jackson died, mm-hmm. his father spoke on television and. I actually saw the interview because I like I was looking at it on YouTube and he said that his son confided him that the guards had been starving him and they denied him clean drinking water for three days. So this was before this incident. And uh, <laughs> it, it's just one of those situations that that father, you shouldn't. And we talk about this. Why do these parents have to basically in their grief? share that grief with the rest of the world when something happens like this to their kid. I mean, we've, we've talked about this so much, mm-hmm. you know, with, with situations that have happened to people of color, even, you know, of, and not even talking about the summer, but just going back so many different years. But it's just, it's hurtful, though, when you read this story and just understand that even George Jackson himself knew that he was a marked man. And okay. even though he tried the legal approach, he was still rejected because they still viewed him as a political threat. And that's why I think that he was sought to be neutralized. Because if you remember what I said earlier, when a person is strong and they stand up, if they can't discredit you, then they take you out. Oh, yeah. And that's what they did. They that's took them out. Did. Because you got to look at it. What was it? You look back. What was this all for? Yeah. What? I mean, Lily. And <laughs> I hope I'm not speaking out of terms. But and then in the, in the long run, they let go. Yeah. They're not yeah. being charged with murder. Because yep. of what? Because no evidence. It was no evidence. It was no evidence, but it was never any evidence. Nope. Okay, so you get, the only thing you get, you can tie this in, is where, where Miller, where he got, he went over the balcony. He got beat up and got thrown over the uh Oh, are you, are you not talking but, about the cop that, the, the, the shot, the three initial? You're talking about the, the cop that got thrown over the balcony. Right, the cop okay. got over the balcony. Okay, balcony. yep, yep. It was by, it was by George's uh cell block. Yes. That's all you have. And that's all they had. That's all you have. Anybody could have did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have did his own self. You never know. You ne- Right. I tell everybody on the street, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. 
That's absolutely facts. <laughs> uh, what you know absolutely facts. is what you can prove. I can't drag my ass in court and say, you know what, uh, you know what, Judge, I didn't see him through him over there, but he was by his cell block. <laughs> Man, they'll laugh at me, tell me, get the hell out of here. Uh-huh. So all this was just what we said earlier before. All this was character assassination leading to assassination. You push this man to his end. He had, they gave him his gun. That dude said, you know what? This is my only shot. I'm gone. But you know what? Dude was waiting on him. And yep. Open fire and kill. That's all this was. And this it, brother it, right here was making noise. He was making too much noise that, you know what? We need to quiet this boy. Yep. And the thing about it is he didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel because he was in that situation just like his brother before him that mm-hmm. it was desperation. And all they knew is we don't trust the system. We don't trust that these brothers are going to get a fair shake. And the surviving Soledad brothers, as you mentioned, they were acquitted. And as you mentioned, <laughs> the state could improve its case, shockingly. <laughs> I, I, so I'm shaking my head like, but as we look at it now and going back, what he did was a trailblazer, was transcendent. What yeah. he did. Yeah. What he did. It, what he, he sacrificed himself for this, th- th- this calls here. Because I would think without that death happening and without those letters that he did and the support that he was able to get from all these public people, who knows what would have happened with these three individuals. But Mm -hmm. because they were able to get the case moved to San Francisco Mm -hmm. and because it has so much public attention to it, it was going to force the state to have to prove their case. And they weren't able to do so. No. And I would just say this is my thing. It was sad to me that he wouldn't live to celebrate the victory of being, you know, proven that he didn't commit this crime. And Jackson, to me, had some parallels to Malcolm X, who preceded him. Because Uh you guys remember, Malcolm X educated himself behind prison bars. Correct. The same way that Jackson did. But the thing about it is, is that both of these brothers had a clear vision and a reality of what the situation was for people of color in this country. And... The thing, too, that really hit home with me is the fact that the U.S. power structure, when they feel that they're frightened and threatened, you better watch out. Because that's what happens. They hit back on those brothers. The stark reality of the situation with Jackson is he lost his life in a situation that if he could have felt any sort of hope, that maybe he wouldn't have take a part in whatever aspect of that, whether the thing was given to him or whether the guard did give him the gun, whatever the situation may be. Right. It's hard to say what he was thinking in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Good point. Right. If if it was fair, if everything was fair, let's be honest, if things was fair, he wouldn't have to go, right, he wouldn't have to result in this. Mm -hmm. Right. Because think about this. He survived many years in vicious jails, being in solitary confinement, Right. And I really implore anybody that listens to this episode, please look at his letters that he wrote. Because when I read those things and it just made me say, my God, people were living in these type of conditions? Wow. But the triumph part of this story and the thing that I want people to also realize is he became the prison system's worst nightmare. Because Mm -hmm. the thing that he did was he organized people, whether they were white, whether they were Mexican, whether they were Black. And they all were starting to come together against the oppression and exploitation that they were dealing with behind closed doors. And that's something that Jules and I speak about all the time Mm -hmm. on this show is us starting to work together, come together, not be divided, and fight against situations that 
we're being, you know, not treated the way that we should be treated. And that's mm-hmm. the big thing that I took from this story is what he was able to do and accomplish. Good point. Good point, bro. Because, right, he was unifying everybody, all ethnicity, all demographics. Yep. He was unifying. <laughs> and that was a problem. Yep. It was a problem. Yep. It was a problem. They didn't, well, the, they didn't want that. To the, the power structure. No, they don't want that. They didn't want that. Mm-mm. Like we talked before, Jacob Hoover, he did not want the, this black messiah. No. Bro, I appreciate what you said. That's why we're so big now stressing these things so we don't have to fall back in them same things, conditions, and uh, that our ancestors was back in the days. We got yep. it better. We, we have, have it, better. it better. We have it better. We can do things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you got to look at a story like with this individual. Well, even he was in those terrible conditions. He still did things to impact and make and improve lives for other people. <laughs> right. A place where it tears, it's a it, it's there to break you down. Yeah. It's that's what it's made for. Yep. To make you go crazy. But his mind was so strong and he was so disciplined. It was like a phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and he came out on fire. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wow. Before we get out of here, Jules, I just wanted to share, and I, I, I just wanted to, I'll be remiss if I didn't share a quick note on the women that were involved okay. with helping the Solidarity Brothers. Uh, Angela Davis. Now, she was forced underground and imprisoned, and she survived incarceration, and she, she was labeled a political prisoner. For So for me, they tried to hook her up on the fact that the guns that were used in the heist were her guns, but she owned those guns legally. Mm-hmm. And she was obviously later found not guilty on those charges connected with that escape because they basically had her hooked up on murder, kidnapping, and criminal Dude. conspiracy charges. Dude, overcharge. Yeah. These things are just overcharged. I read this story and I'm like, you know, as an officer, I'm like, man, this ain't going to stick. What is this? <laughs> Hell, she wasn't even, it wasn't even there. No. No. But, but see, here's the thing. Her ties in UCLA where she was pre- preaching radical uh, ideology. Mm-hmm. That was her thing. Mm-hmm. It was a panther. Yeah. And like I say, with anti-racism the, with, was, her, was right. her thing. Yep. So like we talked about earlier, discredit, discredit. Yep. And try to get her and then try to hook up for these charges. And she wasn't even there. And she owned them guns legally. Yep. Now, I think it was it was some saying that her and, and George, uh, uh, brother uh, Jonathan, was, the, right, you said that uh, Jonathan was a bodyguard. Right. So, right. So, I mean, come on now. Um, the, the attorney, Faye Stender, she was actually shot and crippled in 79, and then a year later, she committed suicide. Oh, I didn't know that, bro. Okay. Yep. And then Georgia Jackson, who was uh, the mother of George and also Jonathan, you got to think about it. She buried both of her sons within right. a year of each other. Mm-mm. So I just wanted to just make sure that we tied that end up and make sure that people realize these three women who were so close to helping these three brothers, they all endured their own pains throughout this whole entire process. So I'll just say this, man. uh, Black America today, it's important for us to understand these lessons and these stories and where we come from. But Mm -hmm. it's also important for people that aren't a Black Americans to educate themselves on stories like this because these stories are out here and these are stories that aren't going to be readily told. You have to go out and seek this type of information. And that's why I love that Jules and I are bringing these stories to life. A guy like George Jackson, mm-hmm. his story is going to be told over and over again. Every time someone presses play on this episode, they're going to learn about this individual, right. and that story lives on. Right. I like that. 
I like that. Hey, I'm, I, it, with this, I'm going to go back and, li- and look at those, uh, get that book and look at the book and read in them letters and stuff because, wow, that was a pro- powerful brother, man. Powerful brother. Yep. Hey, may you rest in peace, brother. Rest in peace. But his his work wasn't done in vain, man, because we've seen it in time that, you know, that there have been some some moves towards prison reform. Now, is it perfect? No. No, but right, right. Things like this brought awareness, and that's yeah. what it starts with. As we always say, it starts with a conversation, and that that's how movements start. And so, and it starts by shows like pulling back the curtain, talking yes, about these type of stories, relevant stories that matter. And so, we're going to continue to keep bringing you guys this type of content. Jules, another dope ass episode, bro. Yes, sir, brother. Yes, sir. All right, my man, and we are out. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bro. All right, this curtain call goes out to the Marshall Project. They're a nonprofit news organization that seek to create and sustain a sense of national urgency about the U.S. criminal justice system. They achieve this through award-winning journalism, partnership with other new outlet and public forum. And all of their work, they strive to educate and enlarge the audience of people who care about the state of criminal justice in the U.S. Named after the great Thurgood Marshall, the great, in the world of Neil Barksby, Founder of the Marshall Project, if Marshall were alive, I have no doubt that he would place criminal justice reform high among the urgent priorities of today's civil rights movement and that his would be a powerful voice for change. It is for these reasons that I chose to name the Marshall Project in his honor. President, I am pulling back the Curtain Podcast family. We appreciate and thank you for all your hard work. Jules, thanks for that curtain call, man. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.